Yo, Danny, do you smell that? It smells like somebody arted up in here. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. We have another episode of Fried Squirms, number 140, 10 away from 150. Jesse, if you're fucking listening, <laughs> you better be getting ready to come over for 150. Just calling you out right now. We're going to talk about Dertotis King. The Death King. But before we do that, how was your week? Pretty laid back. Didn't do a whole heck of a lot. Mostly because, you know, we're in the midst of the holiday season. So, for the most part, just laying low. Just doing the same old kind of shit week in, week out at this point. But, yeah, nothing too eventful about yourself. Fucking same. Not really doing much of anything. It's finally starting to get cold again outside. So, I mean, I've been kind of waiting for it because I kind of like the cold. But it's also been, like, I don't want to go do shit when it's like this either. Yeah, no doubt. I prefer this over the heat when it gets all fucking Satan scrotum in here and shit. <laughs> but it still doesn't make me want to do shit. So I haven't been doing shit. Been sitting around, playing video games, trying to get shit done on the website. I'm still fixing shit because I broke so much shit. So. <laughs> That's Just all good. shit, shit, shit. That's it. Nice. Well, I did run across a few bits of horror news. Of course, that's pertinent to the show, and one we've actually talked about before, but it looks like there's going to be some huge decisions made next year involving the Friday the 13th legal case. So some of the stuff I was reading, of course, is the fact that Victor Miller, the guy who was the original screenwriter for Friday the 13th, right now he is the sole owner of the original screenplay, at least here in the United States. Okay. And Sean Cunningham, the gentleman who bought those rights who was a director of the first one, who kind of carried that franchise, is appealing to like the second appeals court. Okay. And uh, so what that entails is that the second court of appeals has proposed oral arguments for the week of February the 10th, which is of next year. Yeah. This means there will probably be a decision by... Yeah, probably. Probably be a decision by June of 2020. So what they're going to do is they're going to be deciding whether or not Miller can keep the rights to the Friday the 13th screenplay, or if they'll revert back to Cunningham and the Horror Incorporated. So, you know, until something resolves, that means there's no new films that also involves, like, video game shit, toy okay. stuff, just the franchise itself. So hopefully sometime mid-year next year, It'll there'll be, be some kind of decision made, yeah, right. some kind of finality, so... Next bit of news involves a director you and I have actually saw a film by recently, but it looks like Neon has acquired Bong Joon-ho's 2003 film, Memories of Murder, for a theatrical and Blu-ray release. I've realized I need to check out the rest of his shit. Like, I have only heard good things about his entire filmography, and what I've seen so far has been great. Yeah, so. likewise. So, for those who are curious, Memories of Murder involves a small Korean province in 1986. Three detectives struggle with the case of multiple young women being found raped and murdered by an unknown culprit. So, the fact that we're finally going to get a stateside release is pretty big news. Because I've looked to get copies of that film, Blu-ray-wise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'm good right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Alright, so the next bit of news I have involves the next Purge film. And it has started casting, and it has added an alumnus from the Halloween film and the Swamp Thing, and that is Will Patton. So he and Cassidy Freeman have joined the cast of the latest Purge film from Blumhouse. Remember the Titans, Will Patton? Yeah, dude. Yeah, exactly. 
Platinum <laughs> Dunes and Universal, of course. Like I said, they were the ones who were releasing it. The other two actors that I have joined are Mexican actors, Ana de la Riguera and Tino Cuerta. So we'll see what happens. This is being directed by Everardo Gaut. He's known for Nat Geo's Mars and Luke Cage. So Okay. Yeah, it'll be pretty interesting. And from what I read, too, they're slated for like a midsummer release of next year. All right. Next bit of news I have involves another remake. It's another one of those films we reviewed not too long ago, and that film I'm talking about is Pumpkinhead. Oh, right. Something's yeah. happening, right? I've read some news. So Saw producer Peter Block, he is behind the remake of Stan Winston's 1988 creature feature. Now, he did share some news with Rumorg. Some of that contains the fact that he says that they've got some news. They're just not allowed to share it yet, but should be making its way out pretty soon. So they said that, you know, it's one of those stories where there's so much elements, and we've talked about that too, that you can explore. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what they're wanting to do, maybe like a reimagining of sorts. So that would be pretty awesome. All right, next bit of news I have involved another director we've actually talked about before, reason being because it's uh, Robert Eggers in the film I'm talking about, of course, The Lighthouse. I know you saw some news about it. But for those who have not seen it and do want to get their eyeballs on it, it is coming ashore on digital for the holidays around December 20th, so you can check that out. And then for on-demand DVD and Blu-ray, you can get that on January 7th of 2020 from Lionsgate Films. And it says some of the extra features include deleted scenes. There's also The Lighthouse, A Dark and Stormy Tale, which is a featurette. And, of course, audio commentary from Robert Eggers as well. So Now I just got to decide if I'm going to get the Blu-ray or hold out for the 4K. Whew. Man, the 4K would probably be pretty fucking dope. So, wouldn't blame me either way. All right, next bit of news I have involves a documentary about a gentleman we've talked about several times on the show. But that documentary is going to be streaming on Shudder, and that documentary is about Tom Savini, and it's called Smoke and Mirrors, the story of Tom Savini. And for those here in the States, I think in Canada and possibly in the U.K., it is going to be streaming on Shutter on December the 16th, and it's got some really cool shit. Of course, it's going to be talking about his childhood in Pittsburgh, to his tour of duty during Vietnam, to his beginnings with George A. Romero and beyond. It says, Smoke and Mirrors is the defining documentary on the life and career of a horror icon. It involves like interviews with Danny McBride, Robert Rodriguez, Danny Trejo, Alice Cooper, George Romero, Greg Nicotero, Sid Haig, Doug Bradley, Caroline Williams. Like a lot of people oh, we've shit. talked about. Tom Atkins, Corey Feldman, and Howard Berger. So, pretty excited. And the last bit of news, too, involves Shudder. This is more or less like some of their upcoming releases. So, for those who are curious, there's a lot of shit that's going to be dropping in December. One of their feature collections is going to be called Unhappy Holidays. Of course, all revolving around Christmas. Some other stuff that is being released. These are new movies. Not necessarily new movies, but new movies to Shudder. On December 1st, you can check out The Lost Boys, The People Under the Stairs, The Serpent and the Rainbow, Shocker, and Sleepwalkers. Which, if you haven't seen any of those, I'd say you need to check out all of those. (laughs) On December 2nd, you can start streaming the premiere of Deadly Games which is a French horror film, and it involves Santa Claus, (laughs) which would be pretty interesting. You can also check out Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2. On the 11th, you can check out the film Perfect, Inner Demon, and on December 16th, there's Class of 1984, From the Dark, and of course the documentary I just mentioned, Smoke and Mirrors. Perfect, like the Jamie Lee Curtis 
perfect? This perfect is... No, this this is starring okay. uh, Garrett Waring, Abby Cornish, Courtney Eaton, and Tao Okamoto. Am I thinking of the right movie? Oh, this was is she in one called Perfect? I think Possibly. she was in one. This is uh, Perfect is directed by Eddie Alcazar. It is produced and scored by Flying Lotus, which is kind of oh, interesting. Oh, shit. Okay. And its executive producer is Steven Soderbergh. So, pretty interesting. So, yeah, there's a couple of films I'll probably be checking out on Shutter coming up soon, but aside from that, that's pretty much the news of the week that caught my eye. Like I said, I haven't really been up to a whole lot, but I'm super stoked to talk about today's episode, and that's for sure. Jamie Lee Curtis wasn't a perfect, and that's why I was confused, because it's like a drama thriller <laughs> with John Travolta. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Or like a drama romance? I don't know. It's weird. If it's the one I'm thinking about... It's a drama romance. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, that doesn't deserve to be on Shudder. Well... Maybe. <laughs> you never know. Boom. Whoa. Nice. Anyway. Where were we? Are we, are we going to get into the Guts and Bolts of the I'm movie? Ready. Let's do it. Let's... Guts and Bolts, Der Todes King. Guts and Bolts. Guts and motherfucking Bolts. Der Todes King. Oh, God. I'm supposed to start with a spoiler-free summary. Yeah. I don't know if there's any spoilers in this movie. Uh, not really. So I'm actually, I'm going to use the Wikipedia yeah, description that's fine. That's fine. on this one. Because I read it and it seems like it's the most straight-ahead way to introduce this movie. And uh, it's an experimental style movie which does not use central characters and explores the topic of suicide and violent death in the form of seven episodes. Each one attributed to one day of the week. These episodes are inframed by the vision of a human body slowly rotting during the course of the movie. Precisely, and that's exactly what you get. So, of course, along with that, we do like to talk about the cast and crew every week. In this week, we're getting to talk about Jörg Bootskreit, which is a very well-known underground German horror, mostly art house and exploitation director. So I'm really excited we're finally getting to talk about this guy. All right, so some of the films that he's known for are Necromantic Parts 1 and 2. Well, he really hasn't done many, has he? Not really. He's done a lot of it's shorts. Just the shit he's done is... Pretty profound, especially in the horror community. Mm -hmm. And the other film of note in the horror community, of course, is Shram Into the Mind of a Serial Killer. He's also known for writing the stage play for Captain Berlin versus Hitler, which I'll be talking about a little bit later on. All right, our writers... Also include Jörg Bootkreit, and along with him we have Franz Rudenkirchen. He's also known for helping writing the screenplays for Necromantic Part 1 and 2, and of course Schramm. Our cinematographer is Manfred Ojelinski. He's known for being the cinematographer on Necromantic Part 2, and also Schramm. We have editors, go figure, Jörg Bootkreit, Manfred Ojelinski, and Franz Rudenkirchen. The music was composed by Herman the Cop. He's known for composing the music for Necromantic 1 and 2, and also for The Queen of Hollywood Boulevard. Bernd Doktari Lawrence is known for composing the music for Necromantic. And John Boy Walton, which is a band, they're known for scoring the Hot Love short, which was one of York Bootkreitz, and also for Necromantics Part 1 and 2. It was produced by Manfred Ojelinski. The production company was Manfred Jelinski Film in Finsa Production. Its release date was January 25th, 1990 in West Germany. Moving along, we have a cast composed of a lot of first-timers because a lot of these people are personal friends of Jörg and Manfred and Franz and pretty much everybody associated. So 
for this segment entitled Montag, which translates to Monday. Hormon Kopp plays the man in that segment. Of course, this is the only appearance. <laughs> Heinrich Eber, he plays the video fan in segment Tuesday, which is Dienstag. Marco Krause, he plays the man in the park segment Mittwoch, which is Wednesday. Eva Marie Kurtz, she is the spinster, which is like the lady, the voyeur in, oh, right, right. in the Freitag in Friday. She was also in Necromantic Part 2. Angelika Hoch was the assassin in the segment Samstag Saturday. Nicholas Petschi was the man in segment Suntag, which is Sunday. He's actually British. Uh, they were talking about him. They said he was only in for like four months in Berlin. Yeah. Shot that segment, British actor. He actually is like a writer now, I think he said, for the Daily Mail in the United Kingdom, which is pretty interesting. All right, uh, Mark Reeder, he is the soldier in this segment. Dean Stock Tuesday was also in Necromantic Part 2. Hilly Saul, she's a soldier with the Shears in the segment for Dean Stag. Addis Jabal, he was the shopkeeper in the segment Dean Stag. He was also in the film Killer Condom. There's some really interesting side trivia about this gentleman. Killer Condom, huh? Yeah. Nice. Another German film. Of course, our director and writer and one of our editors, Jörg Butreit, he plays the torture victim in the segment Dienstag, and he was also the voice of the projectionist in the segment Samstag. Dirk Felsenhammer, he's also known as Bella Bay, which is he's a musician for a rock band mm. that's actually in this, <laughs> this, uh, this film, but he's the singer in the segment Samstag. Franz Rodenkirchen, he's the he's a passerby in the first segment, Montag, like when the guy's walking past the right. aquarium, whatever. He's also the man in the flashback segment in Mitwak. He was also in Necromantic 1 and 2 and in Schramm as well. We've got two more people, and that pretty much rounds out our cast. I have Simone Spurl. She plays the wife of the video fan in segment Dienstag. She was also in Necromantic 1 and 2. And last but not least, we have Barbara Jute plays the second soldier in segment Dienstag. So like I said, that rounds out our cast, our crew. You gave us a brief synopsis of what this film's about. We should give you some warnings. Oh, warnings. I mean, this film deals very heavily in suicide. Right. That's the biggest warning, I would say. Yeah. I think, too, like, if you're not comfortable... And it's very much a meditation on death in general. Absolutely. So if you're not comfortable with that topic as a whole, it's probably going to turn you off. If you don't like watching decomposition... Yeah, there's a decomposing body. It's yeah, pretty I, boss, but... Yeah, there's... I mean, there, of course there's violence, but it's a lot of cutaway violence. Yeah. So, you know, if you're not attuned to that, perhaps. If you don't like art housey films... <laughs> yeah, because this movie can drag. It can, it can. But aside from that, I think it's one for most horror fans. If you're interested in this style, it's going to be right up your alley. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I'd recommend this movie, too, to anyone who just likes art housey type stuff. Likewise. As long as they're... Comfortable they, with the as stuff long as we they just talked know about. what they're about to get into, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's weird, because you kind of have to almost warn about this movie like it's a more extreme movie than it is. Yeah, I think there is a big misconception with that. But I feel like just the overall mood of the movie warrants that warning. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Let's get into talking about how Der Todeskind made us squeal. Ooh. How does that make you squeal? Alright, Der Todeskind, the Death King. Fucking metal name. 
Minute, 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 minute. Yeah, I know, right? So here's something that's interesting right off the bat itself is that the name Dittodesking is not a real German term or a real German word. And so it's a bit of a, like a mis, you know, interpreted word, but it's kind of unique in itself because of the way the film unfurls and the characters that are involved. Right. It does kind of make sense if you think about it from a perspective of one of the characters in the film. Totus King, not necessarily being a thing, but sort of still meaning a thing. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of just like the Necronomicon. Right. Like Necronomicon doesn't actually mean Book of the Dead, but we all know that Necronomicon's Book of the Dead. Exactly. It still it makes sense. It's close. It's Book of Dead Names, but even then the conjugation is a little weird, and so that's just the way that it makes the most sense. But Absolutely. But I, yeah, I was like, that's pretty interesting, though, because they talked about that. So one of the things I like about this film, well, before I even get to that, let's talk about this. Is last week when you showed me a couple of ideas for films to review, and I was like, Yes, Tyler, because I was happy with both of them, right? And I'm almost saying we should do the other one this week. I'm cool with that, too. <laughs> like, I'm totally cool with that. But I was excited for the main reason that, you know, we haven't talked about a Jörg Buchgreit film yet. And this is kind of an interesting and unique way of an entry point into his films. Because I think a lot of people start off with Necromantic, typically. Right. Behind the scenes, we've talked about doing Jörg a few times. We've talked about doing Necromantic. We've talked about doing Strom. I mean, this is the first time I've ever seen one of his flicks, but I knew kind of what I was getting into already because I had read the summaries of all of those movies while trying to decide in the past which one we would do. And this one was always the one that just sort of stuck out to me the most. Yeah, no, this one is um, very unique. And then actually the probably Strom. Like yeah. Necromantic's probably the one that I'm least interested in seeing. <laughs> no, I understand. Which is weird. I understand, but... Now, I've seen three films of his up to this point, including De Todesking, so I was excited about this one because this one, I think, tends to get glossed over a little bit by some people. I mean, not everybody, of course, but it's not an easy one to tackle either. I guess I just didn't quite know what to expect either. I knew it was arty. I didn't quite know how arty it was going to be because this one's pretty fucking arty, especially when you take into consideration, like, Thursday. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... It seems like I only see this film brought up in extreme horror circles. Yeah, that is kind of interesting when you think about that. And it seems like all the people that get, like, the fucking Totus King tattoo and shit are the kind of people that also extol, like, Atros. Yeah, you're going to find the same groups of people, yeah. That's where that Venn diagram seems almost to be one and one. It kind of overlaps a little bit. But this is not that at all. It's really not. Although... It's kind of flowersy. I mean, or flowers is kind of this-y. You know what I mean? That's funny you say that, man. I'll tell you off air why that's interesting. But it did make me think of flowers. After watching it, I think the second time through, I was like, man, flowers remind me a lot of this film. Mm -hmm. And yeah, anyway, I think this one too, just knowing some of the history about German films during that time period and the censorship and the fact you know, that he was making films like this during that time period... Like, how can he do the swaz? I know, right? So, uh, how did he get away with that shit? You know, no, in he, Germany, it's interesting, right? So, for maybe I can talk of maybe that's a good segue is leading up to this film and Necromantic, right? During that time period, it was pretty strict, right? The German censorship. 
So really, a lot of people could not make horror films. I don't even think it was allowed for the most part in, especially if you were in East Germany, right? Because mm -hmm. this time Germany was still divided. So a lot of the cinema, and this is what York was saying too, is it derived from like British, American, French cinema. So they were kind of exposed to the West, you know? But in terms of like making films and shit, it was damn near impossible. But, you know, just like this film, he got a group of friends together. They shot most of these films over the course of like a whole year Kind of like found in a sense, you know, you could film whenever you could, whenever you can get people together, you know, just go with it. So much like that, this is how his film style was, like pretty much guerrilla shooting, <laughs> just shooting whenever he could. And the cool thing was that he could export his films, like send it to a distributor, typically in Holland, and they would press them or, you know, release them as VHSs. And I read that they wouldn't put the covers of the name of the films on them and send them back to Germany as, you know, imports. And that's how, typically how their films would get released mm. in Germany. So it was kind of like a lot of backdoor stuff. But anyway, yeah, this one I did read as well that at one time it was the most bootlegged VHS horror film. Holy shit. Yeah, so keep that in mind too. There's some pretty cool history with this film. That seems somehow so weirdly fitting for this movie, especially with one of the weird references I caught in it, which I'm going to look up behind the scenes while I let you ramble for a second. I'm sure you have something to say. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. See, the, the, the nice thing is, you know, like, my little history with Jörg Butkreit, since, you know, we're also kind of going into the film, interestingly enough, I was getting into more extreme style of films, you know, and I've mentioned this several times on the show, like in their mid-2000s, roughly, 2004, five, all that shit, and I read about York Bukreit, and I was curious. I was like, man, this is, you know, a guy who deals with necrophilia and death and suicide. And I was like, that's some pretty heavy shit, you know? Mm -hmm. And then when you do watch his films, it's a little, at least for me, it was a little bit different. Like, I was expecting something different, but I was also, like, not disappointed as well. It was just a different mindset. I definitely agree with that. I was expecting something different from this movie, but what I got wasn't disappointing. Yeah, and that's kind of how I feel about it. It's like, I'm not disappointed. It's just not necessarily, I think, as extreme as it's made out to be, you know? I agree. Like I said in the warning, though, I think the heaviness of this movie warrants kind of putting it at least extreme adjacent when you're warning Right, it would overlap it. in the Venn diagram for sure, somewhere yeah. along the lines. God, I don't know. So We can just kind of delve into the let's film Let's get itself. into it. Yeah, let's yeah. get into it. First, I just wanted to point out that I am so fucking down with the Death King drawing. It's pretty Not awesome, the little isn't girl's it? drawing. I don't like hers. I like what it opens on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. And then closes on at the end, if I remember right. Exactly. So it, it does open up, and I was writing some notes about this, about uh, like the title and all that mm -hmm. shit, like when you get the fresh cadaver. <laughs> they were saying that that was actually a friend of the producer, Manfred, Guy just kind of like volunteered to do that. But they were saying that the interesting thing was everything was like DIY and that's including like those title inserts. So Manfred, when he was editing, they said that he had a workstation where he could do all that and just insert it back into the film mm. after it was done. So he's like, yeah, we didn't have to send it to somebody else and they'd chop it all up and then, you know. So interestingly enough, like I said, it kind of starts with that. You get a look into it. Even the, the score a little bit feels a little dramatic. Like, it's like, all right, this is kind of, it's already out art house. Mm -hmm. And then we get the introduction to the man for Montauk, which Montauk 2, 
It's another reference back if you think about it. <laughs> I wrote them all down by their English names because I wasn't going to fuck with that all day long. Yeah. Monday. <laughs> well, the thing right off the bat, I realize that the day format sort of continues throughout the movie. And I think it might be kind of a theme of overall the movie, but especially of the Monday sequence is going from the fresh body into that you have just monday title card and you get to see what the man's doing and it just made death seem so boring yeah 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 yeah. there's not much to it it's just a guy i I wrote down the banality of death like yeah 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 it's just very simplistic in a sense you know the thing you know when i was doing a little bit of research on it was the fact that this guy keeps like all this ephemera of fish motifs, you know? Mm-hmm. He's got like paperweights and posters and all kinds of shit associated with fish. Some of those, which I'll talk about later on because it gets into a whole different discussion, but a lot fish of it. Fishman lives 43 years. That was pretty his, funny. Yeah, that kind of shit. In his bathtub. Yeah, it, uh, there's a scene somewhere too with, I think it's like records and shit. So as they're like panning, you know, around mm-hmm. the guy's room. Even when he puts music on, the vinyl has a cover of a fish, like um. skeleton. <laughs> and, you know, all that stuff is symbolic. But how much you read into that, you can look at it as, like, fish and water and all that stuff symbolizing life. And there's a circle of life and death in this film, of course. So, yeah, Monday's just a very mundane day. <laughs> just another manic Monday. Right. But this guy is very simplistic. He writes these notes, which is there's some interesting stuff when this film first came out. Like, there was fans who had theories about that this guy started the chain letters. Not just any fans. That was one of my ongoing notes, is I'm like, this fucking letter shows up in, like, half of the days? Right. What the fuck is going on? So, so because I have, you know, mm-hmm. the copy of the film, and I was actually listening to the the commentary with Jorg and uh, Rodenkirchen, and they talked about that, right? There's, like, you know, fans would approach them and ask them. And he's like, we didn't really think about that. He's like... What they were thinking with Herman Kopp, which is actually the guy who came up with the idea because he had all the stationery for fucking letters and stuff. Mm-hmm. He was just basically sending his farewell note individually to each one of his friends or people that were important to him. So he wasn't really doing the chain letters. It's just one of the motifs was letters in the film because the woman later on in, in the Wednesday segment has a letter too. But it's just her lover's like farewell letter to her or whatever. Right, and I didn't think that all the letters were the chain letter, because you can kind of see the letter that the TV guy gets Mm -hmm. in Tuesday, the viewer, whatever you want to call him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And you can see that it's not the same letter as the chain letter, but that didn't mean that I didn't think he wrote all the letters. Right, 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 right. You know what I mean? I I didn't think that they were all the chain letter, but I thought that he might have wrote all the letters. Oh, you know, that's a good point. He very well could have, because I think, like I said, that he had those envelopes and stuff. Mm-hmm. It would make sense. That's probably what he was doing. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, that's the thing. I didn't think that they were all the chain letter, but that's pretty cool. I might back up just for just for a second mm-hmm. because one of the things I think that's interesting, if you think about this film, is even before you get into the Monday segment, because you're still getting a glimpse of the corpse, like the fresh cadaver of the guy. Then you get a glimpse of the little girl starting to draw. Right, so already you're you're dealing with youth and death, so you know life, death, etc. But that girl does have a significance. She's not just some old random girl, and you can argue that the story is told from her perspective. Okay. 
which I thought You're was kind of interesting. Follow up on that in a bit. We're going to get right, right. Some just, more of the days. Just planting the seed, just planting the lamp, right? right. <laughs> but anyway, getting back to the guy, I just thought it was you know like interesting that they did keep up with the concept of him, kind of living this aquatic life, <laughs> very lone. They said that's why they use the fish essentially. It's like he was just a man to himself. The Death King comes to visit. <laughs> he drowns himself. And so when he drowns himself, Slash takes his fucking cocktail of everything in his fucking medicine cabinet, apparently. And then the fish experiences a sympathetic death with him, much like we saw at the end of Martyrs. (laughs) (laughs) Martyrdom Uh, is kind of a little bit of a a theme in this film, too. But that's kind of, to me, that backed up him sending all of the notes. It made me feel like there was... Oh, a running theme, and I'll touch on it with at least one of my notes, maybe more than one of my notes on one of the other days as we get further into this movie. Yeah, yeah. But there seemed to be a little bit of a theme of consequences. And, like, that's just part of life. Death is kind of a consequence of life, in a way. Yeah, yeah. But him taking that action still ripples out and affects things. He just happened to affect things. In my mind... I still kind of think he sent all the letters. <laughs> yeah, I can see that, yeah. One of them just happened to be a fucking phony chain letter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's that's kind of interesting if you think about that. But I also don't think he sent all the letters. I think it's a yeah. little bit more metaphorical. I, I know you're saying, yeah. And that's, that's interesting. So, yeah. And so, right off the bat, I'm writing down, I fucking, I love the soundtrack. Dude, this movie. Soundtrack's this, really awesome. There's three fucking soundtracks that we've done. I'm not normally, like, I enjoy a good soundtrack, and... I'll sometimes rewatch a movie later on to see how the soundtrack cues up and shit. Yeah, but yeah. I'm not a guy that notices the soundtrack on most movies like right away. Right. It takes a while to set in. I'm more f- focused on a lot of the visual cues and just the writing in general, I guess, and how the story's actually playing out. But there's three soundtracks that have stood out to me right away: the original Suspiria. Yeah, no doubt. The Beyond, and now this. Those are three good ones, dude. Fucking incredible. From the get-go, doesn't let up, but Monday especially, when yeah, he's just going, as he's just cleaning up his fucking shit. You know, something too to, to note before we move along with the next vignette, is that he composed the music for that sequence. Mm. Yeah, so that's pretty interesting of itself, you know? Not only did he act in it, he composed the music for that sequence. So, that was really so cool. Tuesday comes around. Right. It does start off with the guy receiving the letter, is that correct, and in the mailbox. Mm-hmm. And if you look above, it's got the... The fish guys. Yeah, the fish guys. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, they're you in know? the same building. All right, now, but let's put a little flag beside that. Because if that is the case, there's a resolve at the end of this that... That means Monday didn't happen. Either that or it means Monday was a part of the whole film itself. That film within the film, within the film. <laughs> right. Which I think might be commented on by both this segment and Saturday in a way. Right, right. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So like I said, let's put a little flag by that. If the guy who's receiving the mail, right, in segment Tuesday. Well, it's obvious he is by what he says once he's in the fucking place. Yeah. Like, that letter definitely came from that guy. It's like, oh shit, I think he killed himself. Yeah, exactly. Other dude's like, doesn't matter. He's fucking free. <laughs> All right. So here's an interesting little side note. The you very... walk into the video place, and by the way, oh, guys, the did you know about dope. Necromantic? Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll put a note beside this, because that video rental place is called Videodrome. It is a very famous video rental shop in Berlin. 
mainly because they said it was the first one that dealt with independent films, exploitation, and art house. From what I understand, I believe that place still exists in Berlin, no, too. No. Right? So the reason why, too, is because they were the you know one of the first to let them give out Necromantic, and of course they're shooting, so doing some self-promotion. <laughs> By the way... Necromantic exists. Yeah, post by form, seeing it all over clamshell, <laughs> all that good stuff. But I thought there was something, and maybe this is just the way that that place was arranged anyway. But I felt like there was something, and with how arty this fucking movie is, <laughs> there was something to be said about the fact that like Citizen Kane was on the same shelf as like a knockoff of Elsa. Yeah, yeah. Fucking she wolf, she wolf of the, the SS. SS. Yeah, hell yeah. What's the what's the name of the actual flick that he? Oh, it's called Vera, the Death Angel of the Gestapo. That's right. <laughs> yeah, the actual movie is. Also. You're right. There, I will say this, and this makes sense. The more that we do these type of films, is these guys are, I mean, literally wearing their childhood and their you know influences on their sleeve by putting shit in like this. Because a lot of it they talked about were, you know, like little homages and dedications to all these other films. So there's no wonder that you're seeing like Western style films mixed in with freaking art house and exploitation films and shit. And a music documentary. One of the things that I noticed being back in the day, I was pretty fucking hardcore Metallica fan. And I noticed Cliff Amal in there, which I've still never actually seen Cliff Amal. I've never got my hands on it. But... I do know what it is, and it was a 1987 documentary, partially comprised of bootleg footage from fans, as well as like non-use takes from different promo shit that they were doing, because this would have been like just post Master of Puppets, and just a lot of footage of Cliff Burton after he passed in the bus accident. Right. But I was like, when you said this, this was the most bootlegged horror movie, I'm like, oh, and they did a little shout out to something partially comprised of bootlegs. Yeah. So, I mean, they're very self-aware of what they're doing and how they're placing these things in there. So, yeah. Also, I was just like, fucking Cliff them all. Anyway. That's pretty awesome. No, I was paying attention to a lot of those films. Like, oh, that's cool. They had, like, Tales from the Dark Side, blah, blah, blah. But But I, I thought there had to be something to the fact that, like, they're putting these movies right next to, like... Citizen Kane is literally on the shelf. Yeah, it is. It really is. And then when you get further into the segment and he fucking offs the girlfriend and hangs <laughs> the frame over the blood, it only further solidifies like the art is kind of in the eye of the beholder. Right. And like, damn, that's a pretty bold statement in a way. But the funny thing, if you want to call it funny, is the video that he watches, of course. Mm-hmm. So he said, keep in mind during that time period that films like that even though they were made about Nazi Germany, they did not have them available to watch. So it was his way of, you know, this is a German film made in Germany about oh, Nazi yeah. exploitation, but it Nazi does not exist in Germany in itself. Like, yeah, people Nazi, didn't make those. Nazi exploitation existed everywhere but Germany. Basically. Right. It's like because there's too much guilt, of course, with the German citizens about what happened. So that's why he does some of these commentaries and his superhero captain berlin (laughs) so like you said so then it gets so much more meta with the fact that like he does this what can be very easily interpreted as a statement of like art is in the eye of the beholder right right but then turns it into a commentary on by the way this kind of art doesn't lead to violence this is the real and it's just on tv yeah and you see just by the mood 
the dishevelment of the room sets. It's like, don't worry about this leading to violence. Worry about people using this who are in the midst yeah, yeah, it's like of a, just not being well themselves. Absolutely. So keep that in mind, you're right. That was the first thing I was like, whoa, that was super meta. Like they watched this Nazi exploitation, which, you know, you talk about the swastika and all that stuff. That was Jorg, who was the victim. Mm-hmm. That was not his real penis. So <laughs> he's okay. <laughs> Don't worry about that. But yeah, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like it's pretty bold to do what, he, you know, showing the guy killing his wife and then framing it. But then it cues out of that into a TV turning off. And you're like, oh, shit, that was a film? <laughs> or it could have been something on TV, an ad, whatever. But that's why I planted that flag earlier, because if he's receiving the letter from the guy from Monday, that means it would have had to been part of that film. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it did not exist, right? Which would also mean that at least, is it Friday, is also part of the film? With the woman? Like the voyeur? Yeah, with the fucking okay. chain letter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 because of the, with the letters. Yeah. And Wednesday, because she, the woman. she starts with the letter. Yeah. So it would mean Wednesday and Friday. Friday are, are still, yeah, I could see that connected to it. Yeah, I can see that. That's pretty wild. <laughs> All right. It ends with a lady, which, because it is lady behind the scenes. So if mm. you don't know, it's spoiler, oh. it's a woman's legs. Oh, yeah, didn't know. Yeah, so hanging, right? Suicide by hanging. So that's Monday, Tuesday, and then it leads into Wednesday with the lady, right, in the rain. This one's weird. This one, I don't know if I have the right perspective on things to be able to fully comment I I might be able to help out a little bit. I did read that a little bit. You have the little excerpt with them making some statements, but I also kind of feel like they're trolling us a little bit, knowing that they're trying to sum it up in two sentences. Yeah. So, uh... (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. So one of the interesting things is during I don't little... think that that's not true. Right, 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 right. But I know you're working saying. on this film for a year. <laughs> they had yeah, they had some ideas for this, of course. Uh, it, things change. Starts with the lady like I said walking in the rain. She has a letter. It appears to be from a former lover. All right, you get little flashbacks of this guy. Mm-hmm. That's Rodenkirchen. He talks about it. And it leads to her sitting on a park bench and there's a guy who so happy to be making a confession to her about he and his wife and their love life and then what eventually happens to his Which wife. I thought it was weird. It was happening on hump day. Yeah, Wednesday. <laughs> that's pretty funny, isn't it? Also, if anyone has a hair up their ass to remake a German art house horror film, then cast Stephen Merchant as this guy. I could see that. That'd be pretty awesome. Just based purely on looks. Anyway, continue. Nice. All right. Two bits of trivia. The guy who plays the man on the park bench is... Uh, Not Stephen Merchant, unfortunately. No. His name is Michel Crosa. He was the first guy that they ever hired to work on any of their films. Oh, shit. Yeah, so that's kind of a neat little bit of history. He said, but this segment itself is a bit of a nod to a film that was also in the video store. There's a film called Miss 45. It came out in like 1981. It's a U.S. film. It's a revenge film about a woman who like gets raped... I think twice in one day or some shit like that. Oh, and then, shit. of course, exacts revenge. So they said it's a little bit similar to that. So that's why they used it. And he says, but eventually... Oh, actually, before I get into that, he said, also, if you know about Necromantic, if you're familiar with the film, that's also the backyard of Manfred Jelinski, where they filmed that. Mm. And it's also near a scene in Necromantic that involves a car crash. 
So it was all shot in the same place. <laughs> so they recycle a lot of these places in the film. Anyway, what leads up to, I guess, the conclusion of this episode, not our episode, but this episode, Wednesday, is the guy confesses that his wife's been bleeding during lovemaking, and she's just, like, very... I don't know, like passive aggressive in a way about it. Like she's trying not to even comfort him. Aggressive about it. No, he, no I wouldn't say that's not a good term, but yeah, she's not being maybe as she's doing all the right things about it, and the doctors just can't find anything wrong. Right. But she's just not as up in arms about it as him. Yeah, and that's he, starting to piss he, him he, off. He exactly. He he feels, feels like, like he's the victim. He's giving a lot more to her you know, whatever her condition is, then she is. It basically boils down to him playing the victim the entire time. Right. Until he finally gets pissed enough to kill her. I don't know what version that, like, what copy you got to watch of the film, but, you know, when he's starting to tell the story and you can tell there's, like, there's some kind of weird manic thing going on with him. Mm-hmm. Being that this was shot on 16 millimeter, and they, I think they showed it in various forms, like a 16 and 35. So, you know, they're playing reel to reel. And that was supposed to throw people off. They said that oh, that, right, the... you know, it's supposed to make it feel like there was something going wrong with the film itself. So it doesn't look quite the same when you have a digital copy or, you know, an updated version of it, Blu-ray copy. It doesn't hit quite the same. Right. But it's still, you still get the effect. Like, there's something not right with this guy. Anyway, she winds up getting a gun out, the lady on the park bench, and she goes to shoot him, and it doesn't fire. <laughs> and this is where my next note comes in, because he says that... He was making a non-PC comment about the fact that women can't shoot guns. And so that's why the man has to, like, shoot himself. And he said this is the difference between the Todsking and Necromantic. He says where a lot of people were expecting you to see the guy shoot his brains out and shit. They cut away and just did, like, a little splatter. He says because he didn't feel it was necessary. He's like, you don't need to see it to know the effect of it. Mm -hmm. You know, he's like... He wasn't trying to make an exploitation film in that sense. I was still surprised at even how little splatter there was, though. Yeah, it was just a a little splatter. That's what I said. He cut away on a lot of like blood and gore and things mm-hmm. like that, just because he wanted to make this a little bit more of an art house film. So moving along, that ends the segment Wednesday Hump Day, right? We move into Thursday Donnerstag. In between there. That's where I did note that oh, the, the rot really started to be finally become noticeable yeah. between these two days. I got some really cool shit to say about that corpse, too, which is really interesting. Well, g- give me what info do you have about the corpse, because okay. I'm super curious about the corpse. Okay, so the corpse. It starts off, like I said, we see the guy, the friend of Manfred, mm-hmm. right? But the corpse itself, the skeleton, was the same skeleton they used in Necromantic. And what they did was... They did a, a cast of the guy, and then they used all, like, organic baking products. He says you could actually eat, like, the body itself, but not the intestines, because that was pig intestines. Oh, right. Okay. Right? But the body itself, it was just, it was a way for, like, the maggots and worms and whatever else they used, flies and stuff, to eat it, so it would decompose quicker. So they baked it, and then they had um, some place actually close to the bridge, which we'll talk about here soon. They had a place in Holdenkirchen, which is like just south of Munich. And uh, they had it for, I think, three weeks. So it took them three weeks to do the entire decomposition. Okay. Because the way they set it up, he said that they had three cameras. And they did it in three weeks. One of the cameras was a 16 millimeter. The other two were Super 8s. So when you see the zoom-ins, those are the Super 8s. 
and then just the whole body frame is 16, 16. Right. So they also filmed it at one frame per minute. Okay. Right. So they wanted to have kind of like a stop motion kind mm-hmm. of feel to it. Yeah. So that's what you're getting to see. He said, like, the way it broke apart, too, wasn't, like, exactly how they wanted it, but they said it was still kind of cool. So they just went along with it. But, oh, dude, some of it's super cool. When yeah. the fucking the face falls off and you see the skull the first time, yeah. that looks so fucking cool. Yeah. They were getting kind of excited in the commentary. They're like, oh, look, here comes the eyeball. It's about to fall out. Look, watch. <laughs> but they said, like, the smell was just, like, nauseous. Mm. And by the end of shooting, there was, like, thousands of flies. I can actually imagine that smell really Bad. Did I ever tell you about the worst smell I've ever encountered? I think in the you world? might have alluded to it, maybe on a on a former episode. I was a assistant maintenance in a hospital, and this isn't a big hospital. I think classified as emergency access hospital, if I remember right, which is max twenty five beds. That's both hospital and nursing home side combined. Okay. So it was in reality more like maybe like six beds for the hospital or something like that, and most of it was actually a nursing home. Gotcha. Well, eh, it was probably half and half. Maybe even a little bit less nursing home, but it certainly didn't feel like it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So not much actually happens week to week. One of my jobs was to take out the bio bags, like all the waste from surgery. I mean, it costs whatever companies take care of fucking bio waste. Like, it costs quite a bit to have that shit taken care of. So it wasn't worth it to this rural emergency access hospital to send off the biototes until they were super full. So I would get the bio from a surgery and go take it to the tote, and it might be three weeks until the tote was actually full. Dang. The entire time, everything that had been there is just sitting in the tote. Right? Yeah, right, right, fermenting. <laughs> in the tote that is stored in a room next to the boiler room. Ooh, so you're getting the moisture and heat. Where nice. the minimum temperature of that room it was in was 95 degrees. Gee, you're like Most uh, of the time, making soup in there. That was, and that's like winter. It's like 95 Oof. degrees in that room. God. Most of the time it was closer to like 100 degrees even, 105. That's nuts. And so that shit was just... Soupy. Oh. Droopy. And I'd have to open it up and throw the new bag in. Oh, God. I bet that you is truly the smell of death. Stuck to high heaven, man. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so I'm glad these guys are the ones who did that so that we wouldn't have to do that so, you know, we get an end product like that. But I didn't have to deal with flies. <laughs> yeah, there you go, dude. That's so. Uh, uh, that's good. No shit, right? So, yeah, that was like the body, right? We are talking about that because that's what you get to see in between some of these segments and even in flashes. Sometimes you get to see the dead body, the decomposing body, right? I did want to back up just for a second in that former segment. The guy who ran the video store mm-hmm. was another actor, but they said he's a very, very well-known Berlin actor who always does cross-dressing. So he's like oh. a well-known cross-dresser. Yeah, so that he volunteered to do it. A lot of these guys volunteered. I'm just like... Way to go, man. Rocking the fucking open chest look. Yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome, man. So, yeah, there's some really notable people who are, like, in the punk scene and art house scene and, like, alternative lifestyle scene in Berlin that are mm. in this film. All right. So, in between that segment, like I said, between Wednesday, the decomposing body, going into Donnerstag Thursday, is it's basically you get a glimpse of a bridge and the names start to appear. And I, I got the answer from reading your book, but my first note was, is this real? 
Right, right, right. Because you can, with what the rest of this movie's been, you're immediately, you know what the names are supposed to be. Yeah. These are all people that have died. Right, that have jumped to their conclusion. <laughs> but one of the names, I would have never have known this until they mentioned this, but there's two sets of names that pop up. They're twin names. It's uh, Nadine and Nicole Mantle. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't think anything School of School girls. It. Right, but not only that. 16. It's actually a dedication to a David Cronenberg film. So Jeremy Irons is in the film Dead Ringers, and he plays twins in that film, and the twins are the Mantle twins, and that's why they used that. They're like, yeah, we used a little nod right there. But they said while they were filming the body, the decomposing body, they were taking a drive around the countryside, and they found that bridge. And they're like, oh, this actually has a name in that town called the Suicide Bridge, even though, of course, that's not its real name. Mm-hmm. That's what the yokels know it as. So they're like, yeah, we wanted to, you know, come up with an idea. There's like, we couldn't just throw a fucking puppet over and film that. And they like, just, instead they just put names and then filmed it because they said it was hard to get the magnitude of the bridge just shooting 16 millimeter. They said it was like, you know, you could see why is what they were saying. Mm-hmm. People jumped because... You're kind of compelled to do it. <laughs> I, well, I was like, oh, shit. Especially this scene probably had the, the weirdly the most pull and almost the most dread towards the end for me in the entire movie. With the way that these early days, how it's been building up, and by this time, like, death is on your mind because you've just been through a few deaths, mostly suicides. It's been pretty heavy, weird shit. Yeah. And you get into this day. Like tons of people. Very sages, too. Yeah. And you're like, oh. And it was just, it re-triggered things because of when I've just been reading shit on the internet. And I re-went back on a dive. I'm like, what is that fucking thing called? Imp of the perverse is the feeling to do the most insanely wrong thing in any given situation. Yeah. In this sense of being on a bridge, it's that feeling you get that makes you want to just throw yourself off for a second. Which, in a weird horror tie-in... Gets its name tied back into a uh, Poe short. Yeah. I believe he did a poem or a short story called Imp of the Perverse. Nice. And a few of his characters basically exhibit that tendency, the, that tendency huh. throughout a couple of his stories. That makes sense to me because what we're dealing here with is kind of a perverse topic in, in itself. you know. But yeah, that makes sense. And then this has never heavily been the type of thing I've read into, so I'm no expert, but... I've dabbled in in reading different philosophy here and there, just enough to like make myself feel good for an afternoon. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It did remind me of a little bit of Freud explaining the idea of a death drive and how he was using Schopenhauer's work and his explanation of what Schopenhauer was saying is that death is the goal of life which I felt is very akin to this movie. Right, right. There's, I'm surprised I didn't mention this earlier, but there's a quote towards the beginning of the film when you see the, the body. Mm-hmm. And um, they use a quote by this, he was actually a poet and a, a murderer because ultimately he was um, sentenced to death by the guillotine. But they use a quote by Pierre-Francois Lucanier, and it says, what kills me will remain my secret, which is... They use that for a reason because it's like, you know, when you commit suicide, people who are, you know, who have to go through with the aftermath, they always have questions. They'll never truly know. Right. And that's what that pretty much means. So they's like, you know, when you do, when you commit suicide, you take 
things like that with you, but there's that ripple effect, you know, that posthumous thing that Monday's happens. Monday's ripple effect. Right, exactly. And that's kind of what this film entails as well. But it's actually like a cautionary tale. Like this, he's stated time and time again that this is not a film promoting suicide. This is like an anti-suicide film. But right. it just shows Which is the reality of it. Kind of the body, right? Right. The cuts back to the body are showing the reality. Yeah, of and death. it just shows like, you know, this is the, yeah, this is the reality. And the vignettes itself is, you know, of course, the visualization. A lot of them are cutting happens. back to like, this is the reality. Right. Which I think that's the profound thing about this film is that you might get enthralled with those, the episodes, because they are interesting and they're unique and whatnot. But the reality of it is, is there's still that corpse decomposing. And that's the reality of every one of these people <laughs> in the end. And all of us, really. The first time through, especially, the corpse wasn't so much of a grounding in the sense of, like, this is reality, as to me it seemed like a grounding as in, this is inevitability. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No matter what you do, this is the end Right, result. I mean, it is, it really is, regardless of this particular topic, suicide. But yeah, that's it's the end result. And then, yeah, so I had more, like, tension and stress built up <laughs> in my body in that like last bit of Thursday when it's the camera just going over the open spot. Yeah. Because I was just, I kept waiting for it to fall. Drop. Because I kept thinking about the body because the body was inevitability. Right, yeah. It was also that weird like existential angst of like, it ties into the imp of the perverse of like when you're sitting at the edge and you have the freedom to throw yourself off. Right, yeah. Because it's inevitable anyway. But the reality of the fact is, much like we see in Monday, and much like the inevitability of the corpse, is that your actions have consequences. No doubt. Exactly. And is it worth it to actually face that consequence? You're right. I mean, that's the question that's posed. One thing, I, I, this is the kind of the nerd in me, because, you know, I was listening to the commentary the second time through. And when they got to the bridge, it's like, I'm kind of curious about that bridge. I want to see if I can find a picture of it. And I typed in Suicide Bridge Bavaria. Mm-hmm. And then it was hard to hear them with their German sometimes, but uh, like I made out that they, they said that the town was Holdenkirchen. And I was like, okay, let me see if that's... Okay, cool, there it is. And then I started looking at pictures, and I was like, oh, this looks a lot like it because there's a still in the in the movie where you kind of see the countryside. Oh, yeah. You know? And it's like, I guess that whole road itself is like it was built by the SS as oh, a way shit. to transport shit from town to town along that corridor. But anyway... It's like, yeah, that place was just massive. It's like it was hard to film, like they were saying earlier. But I looked it up. I found out what the name of the bridge was. So for those who are curious, it is called Mengfallbrücke, which means uh, Manfall Bridge. Mm. Yeah, I was like, all right, cool. So I did a little investigative reporting. <laughs> found that out. But at the end of that, like we said, once you figure out and you get them actually looking over, and they actually built like, this mechanical piece, it was just basically like a housing piece where they could string a line across oh. and just send it across, filming it. I had a theory of how they did it. <laughs> my Spider-Man, th- or, uh, Superman did <laughs> <laughs> No, my theory was they did it kind of uh, almost reverse, like, Evil Dead, oh, Sam yeah. Raimi running through the woods style. <laughs> Except yeah. the boards that it was sitting oh, on, God. it wasn't sitting on, it was strapped underneath. And it was yeah, just a terrifying. lot longer of a board. <laughs> With people on either side just walking yeah. with it. That would be... Yeah, no, no. no. They would, it was kind of cool. They showed how they set all that shit up. But 
Yeah, when, when it comes to stuff like that being over the top of something like that, yeah, no thank you. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I'm good too. All right, so then this moves into, for me, I thought the most maybe interesting segment, which is because the way it unfurls, is the Friday, Fry Talk. Friday is where I was really like, I kind of see how this ties into some of the other imagery they're using through the movie, but in the end, I'm not quite sure what the fuck is going on in this one. Right, and the thing that I got out of it, and this is not even them talking about it, but upon my first view, I was like, this is really like voyeurism. You know, this is, we're being voyeuristic as well, but this is like driving home the point that the most likely candidate for suicide in that episode doesn't commit suicide. She's. Oh, I didn't even think about that. As soon as you said that, it all started to click, though. Because even her flashback and her dream, she was a voyeur. What presumably might have been her parents fucking, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So that's what made me think of that. It's like she's just watching. She's a watcher. The thing that stood out most to me is this segment had one of those. By the way, here's symbolism for you. Like, yeah. if you've never seen an art film before, then showing her taking a look down at the shirtless guy and <laughs> then showing a flower opening up means she's turned on. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they make no, bo- no puns, but no bones about that kind of stuff. I fucking laughed out loud because I'm like, oh, here's some art school 101. Like, you know, that's, that's a really interesting thing you said because. I think what he was said, like, he never went to art school and shit like right. that. Like, you know, he just wanted to make films. But it you does know, feel it, like yeah. an art project, this mm-hmm. film, too. Like, that would, you know, probably a funnel project or something, you know? But he mentioned, too, like, that was his actual flat in Berlin. And he gave directions how to get there, if you're ever curious. <laughs> so I was curious if we were supposed to assume that the couple also got the chain letter. And just followed the instructions. I think so. Because that would be the more logical, I think, conclusion. I couldn't tell for sure if it was there in the shot with them at the end or not. Right. I, you know, I don't think I paid enough attention. And they didn't really mention that either for that shot. But I think that was pretty much the intended conclusion. Right. Is that they off themselves while she <laughs> was imagining her parents walking. <laughs> After eating some chocolate, right? She was. Uh, she had that little and vial. Of, some was vi- that? I was thinking I of some kind of liquor or some kind of wine. Some she was getting something. tore up. <laughs> it was soma. She was getting fucked up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was like, man, that's that's kind of interesting. It is very art house. He talked about the fact too, like you can kind of tell when she's looking out the window. They said they didn't shoot it from that perspective of her looking out a window. They were actually looking like down a staircase. Mm. <laughs> but. It's just the way that they edited and made it look pretty interesting. But some of the stuff that was really cool was that chain letter, like you were saying. It's just the whole idea and what the message was inside of that. I was like, that's some pretty heavy shit if you read into it. I would love to get the Arrow copy of this that comes with the chain letter. Oh, dude, no shit. So that I could have one of our buddies that speaks German translate it, translate it yeah. all. Because I know that the subtitles I got only translated like three sentences. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot that it did, but I did write down the gist of it. And I was like, it's pretty interesting. It says, I died, therefore I am. In six days, God created heaven and earth. On the seventh day, he committed suicide. Let's die. (laughs) I was like, damn. So let us die. All right. My little side note about her going to sleep is that I was like, if you mix a shot with chocolate and a nap, you get a flashback of watching your parents bone. 
Yeah, no that shit. That was super. Oh, they said they were kind of proud of the fact that the shot itself, they were doing track shoots for the some of the first time. And like, oh yeah, it was very cool. I didn't have to worry about the shaking motion of filming it. So it made it even more arty for them. So the mentioning of God in the chain letter did lead me to one of the things I noticed the second time through, which uh, we'll get back to that in a second. But it was something that I'd probably feel like would have been a stretch if the movie wouldn't have brought up God itself. Gotcha. But since they brought it up, I'm going to go with my stretch. Well, yeah, I mean, it's open. It's you know open, what I mean? Right? But, but we're going to have to get to Sunday to make that stretch. So nice. we still have to get to Saturday first, though. Okay, so before they even flash, mm-hmm. letting you know that it is Saturday, you get another shot of the decomposing body, and that's what I already mentioned earlier about how long it took and all that stuff. Then you get this like little section where a young girl in a dress is sitting next to a lady in a dress, and the lady's reading, I guess, like a journal or some sort of pamphlet. It might even be the Seventh-day shit. But he was really inspired by Jean-Luc Godard, and there was a film called uh, Pierre Le Faux. They said that there's a scene early on where there's an adult man taking a bath, and this young girl is sitting in, and he's like giving this existential talk about life and death and shit, and she has no concept of what he's talking about. So he was, once again, paying homage to that. But of course, it leads into Saturday is what that leads into. But the whole conversation that the woman gives... Is that framed right beforehand? Do they set up that this is all found footage? That was, I think, a little bit before. Like, just a little bit before yeah, that. Yeah, just a, just a second before. Right. Because this made me think, in a way, of Deodato. Okay. And the yeah. way that cannibal holocaust found footage was handled where you actually have people commenting on it yeah in like a meta sense while we're watching it that makes sense he said when he did that for that particular episode he didn't want to do like close-ups and stuff because then it would make you feel like she wasn't filming it herself is that somebody else was in on it you know filming her Mm -hmm. and it just it wouldn't feel as impactful i guess that's why he also didn't use sound which would have been obvious because he was paying homage to taxi driver Mm. when she's standing in front of the mirror and putting all the gear on and shit he's like i didn't want to use the fucking lines and stuff would have been too cliche that once again just sort of reminded me of monday and just the boringness of death yeah because by the time she's run out what namuk suicider does you know what she's gearing up to do right and that like i said it was basically a commentary on like the sensationalism of suicide or like shootings how, and mass shootings how and shit. prescient on some of the mass shooting shit too yeah for sure all the reasons that she laid out is why probably too late but the media has finally started to get good about not putting the names of these that, assholes you're out there you're absolutely shit. right man that's man for something that happened they filmed this mostly in 1989 and of course it released in 1990 so we're talking 30 years ago Right, that's pretty profound statement. We're talking German. We're talking thirty years ago, and this segment made me think of like the Christchurch shootings, which I know had another aspect to them beyond just attention. It was attention, not because for much more radicalized means, but still just the wanting to get attention and putting it out through the video the way the shooter did. Along yeah. with the overall feeling of what she was saying about the amok killer. Yeah, it's, it, it is very interesting. You know, what, when I was thinking about what she was saying in that, too, I was like, that. I mean, it's interesting that they're doing it, too, from the perspective of the person who's actually committing 
mm-hmm. you know, these actions. And he makes comment of that. He's like, in his films, he doesn't want there to be like some schlocky fucking cop chasing down killers. He's like, I want to tell it from the perspective of killers and the perspective of people that are committing these acts as opposed to somebody chasing them down and hunting them and then getting this, you know, secondhand knowledge. So that's something I, I thought was really cool is she's laying things out that are, like we were saying, that are still prescient because it's still happening. The only difference is, is like, instead of sensationalizing, you shouldn't even be <laughs> mentioning that because now they become martyrs, essentially, is what she's saying. Mm-hmm. Right? They live beyond death. That was the thing. She was saying that they currently feel like they're dead in what? In life. Is their life. Right. And so they're trying to find life through death, uh, being sensationalized living death, yeah. in their death, which then made it super interesting when to commit the shooting, she has to ascend some stairs. And I'm like, especially in this nihilistic of a movie yeah. and this arty of a movie, I'm like, she's ascending to heaven and the first thing she does is kill God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The while, keeper of the gate or whatever. Yeah. While we watch, and it's not... The guys that are watching and are, are putting on these reels, mm-hmm. it's not said what their job actually is. Good point. But I was wondering if maybe this was a commentary on news media itself yeah. being a new yeah. form of exploitation. That's a good point. Like um, I could see that them being from like a control room or something like that. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you said, what, what we got in Cannibal Holocaust when you got the guy who's sitting in with the executives and shit. And I think I was just thinking that because that of how sense. much it reminded me of Cannibal Holocaust. It, it would make sense, too, considering the fact that he pays homage to a lot of Western-style films. It would mm-hmm. make sense. Especially because, I mean, and that's before even the modern era of mass shootings, but yeah. definitely in the early days, the media would sensationalize yeah, these names. Yeah, exactly. It's ratings. And so because of that, I'm wondering if he was poking fun at the media being I can see exploitation. That. Yeah, exactly. Basically. Exactly. And for better or worse, that opening spot where she's explaining it to the kid is kind of just what the media itself is doing to children. It's being like, this is what's going on. I know you can't understand it. We're just going to go continue to do it anyway, just like right. she, she kind of did with the kid. That's a, good, that's a very good point. I think that's more than likely the whole intent of that. I mean, it would make sense through and through. And I do like the way that it's shot, the way it's told. It's A lot of it is super meta, too. Like When she gets up, well, first when she gets up there, I guess she doesn't kill God right away. She kills St. Peter first. Right. Like I said, keep her to the gate, and then they get in. Walks into she heaven. She gets in. And then there's still someone up above on stage. Right. And, and so she kills God and then turns on the rest. Yeah. And gets killed. And herself. even that, too, it's like <laughs> assisted suicide in a sense, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like she wasn't going to kill herself, but she was going to force somebody to make that decision for her. And I know I'm probably making a big stretch with her saying that she's killing God. Oh, but... man. All right. Here's something <laughs> to lighten that mood a little bit. It's about the actress herself, right? They mm-hmm. said that some of these parts they did have to cast, but, I mean, it was mostly through friends. Anyway, there was a part in the casting, this is what York Bootgrad said, he said he asked some of the actors and whomever the crew if they had a dog because he was thinking about using a dog in one of the segments. And this actress, she's like, yeah, she's like, um, my boyfriend looks like a dog. And like, basically that what gave her the chance to get in. They said initially they uh, hired her as like a script woman is what they mm-hmm. said, and she, just like an all-around hands-on-deck kind of thing. I believe that was her apartment they shot in. And they also yeah. shot her in her apartment in Necromantic. 
and they said that like they had a blood stain or walls and shit, and she was super cool with it. So her boyfriend also, the one that she commented on, <laughs> was the bassist in the band that we get to see where she opens fire on them. But one of the guys, the singer I was talking about earlier, Bella B, he's in pretty much a very influential punk band from Germany in Berlin from like the 80s. And they're still playing. So like I said, he talks about that a lot too, is the fact that he put these people who were more into the arts, the underground, into mm-hmm. his films because of those reasons. So it's kind of neat. Sunday. Yep. Sunday. Bloody Sunday. I mean, the action of Sunday is pretty easy to talk about. Yeah. Dude just kind of goes nuts in his little room and eventually beats himself to death by slamming his head against a fucking wall. Right. I think the thing of note in that sequence is just the filming style, right? He shoots mm-hmm. things kind of in reverse. And he also talked about the fact that the actor himself would imitate his movements. And so it made it feel more surrealistic. Mm. Kind of gave it like a Lynchian film because David Lynch is known for doing those kind of things, you know, in his film. He said, but there's another thing to note is if you ever get the chance to watch Shram, is there's a scene where the camera's overhead and it's kind of spiraling he said that was their Schramm technique. Oh, okay. He said because all they did really was just attach the camera to like a string in the ceiling and, and just, just let it dangle and they would, you know, pull it up or down as needed. So I was like, all right. So there were some technical things that were pretty cool. But he said the reason he only used minimal blood is because you would expect there to be. And he also at one point wanted like these punks to break in and beat the shit out of the guy and oh, okay. whatnot. So he's like, nah, he wanted to cut back. He wanted to do things very minimalistic. Even the act of the guy like beating his head against the wall should have been a lot more violent. And all you get is like a little nosebleed, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just enough. So I immediately noted that reverse shot as he's getting up. Yeah. Because cool. he's not getting up. He's actually laying down. But I'm like, oh, if those two things are kind of just the same and... There's no reason given for what he's doing. Right, exactly. He's just seeming to sort of rage against it all, I guess. I tried thinking of it in a little bit more meta sense. I'm like, if laying down and getting up is the same thing, and he's just rising to this existence, and we know what comes after Sunday. It's Monday, right? It's Monday. (laughs) Yep. Which first established just the boringness of death. Right, exactly. And this guy's just laid back go about your business kind of existence on his last day. And then I remembered he was the fish guy. And this is where it started to turn all back around again. Because the movie had just a couple days ago, I was putting it more on a Saturday with her going up and killing God. But they brought up God themselves earlier on going towards this segment. If you go back around to Monday with the fish being a symbol for Christ and the rebirth, as you've been watching the body... You've been seeing the maggots and shit. Right, it is, it is a rebirth. It is. It's like, it's just a cycle. And that's what this film is, very cyclical. Which is, once again, just the boringness of death. Right, exactly. It happens all the time to everyone. Right. And so, I think that's why this is But a, it can still have an effect. Absolutely. See, that's why I do enjoy this film, is the fact that there is a clear message if you stick through with it. Mm-hmm. And I find it interesting because it, it would be easy to read into it completely different than what its intended purposes are but it's really valuing like the things that you should be doing in life is trying to to make the most of it while you got the time because the end result is all the same chocolate and take a swig of fucking yeah take a fucking nap man (laughs) creep on your neighbors see if they're whatever they're doing you want to see them again pop that head back out (laughs) 
So uh, it's just very interesting, man, that it came from a German underground film director to make this point across. But that's kind of what he's known for, is making these very interesting points, but using these very perverse, taboo subjects to talk about, you know? It's just more or less just showing the reality of the situation. And of course, the movie wraps back around at the beginning again with the girl finishing the picture. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was saying at the beginning, is that once she's finished with her drawing, she says, this is the king of death. He makes people want to die. And then we get the still of the death king with the baby. So there's another symbol (laughs) there. But that's why I say you could say that at the beginning because she's doodling, and at the end she's finished doodling. You could say that this it's told from the mind of a child that's been maybe fed this kind of stuff. And this is how she visualizes it throughout the course of a week. I'm not saying that's necessarily what it was. Mm-hmm. But I say you could interpret that, perhaps. Once the child popped back up again, and when I thought of this all as just a cycle, because, like you said, you go Sunday into Monday, and you think about what the body's doing, and the rot doesn't become really noticeable until after Wednesday, right? Right, yeah, profoundly. Monday, you have just boring dudes cutting ties, whatever yeah tuesday like dude legit offs his girlfriend (laughs) yeah same with wednesday it's starting to turn because he ends up killing himself but it's only after he has apparently killed his wife off screen after in his mind trying to make it all work but whatever right 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 then you have thursday where it's not much happening but then like friday even if they left the window to go commit suicide the premise is they were probably having sex before they went to the window. Right. You know what I right, mean? Right. I was thinking jokingly And it too. starts to bring... And as the body is getting worse from like Thursday, oh, Friday yeah, on, yeah. and you're starting to see the maggots, that's where all these segments start to have like, they're having sex, which normally creates life. You have the girl walking in on her parents, having yeah. sex, which traumatizes her. However, that's how she came to be. Yeah. Saturday... A child is once again involved and is being taught these things, whether they understand them or not. Sunday, obviously, it doesn't involve children, but that's because it's mainly used to wrap back around. Yeah, exactly. And then you get the start again, mm-hmm. or right there at the end. So it makes sense that he mixes both the youth. He doesn't use like old people, but you know what I'm saying? It's like people think, who are going and, through these cycles. And I think that's why Thursday is so effective, because it's a lot of it is just this cycle. It is kind of like the tipping point before the, the weekend, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. In a way, if you're looking at it perhaps religiously too, it's like the death, the rebirth in three days' time, the cycle over again. You know, mm-hmm. So you could look at it that way as well. Yeah, man. It, you know, When you think about horror films, you don't necessarily think that you'd be having these very philosophical discussions and you know, dealing with existential things. But here we are. <laughs> it's a horror film. It's very art house. But this is another reason why I'm glad we're dissecting one of his films, no puns, but because it, it's very insightful and makes you think about these kind of topics too. <laughs> so there's that. I mean, I guess the Sunday, going on my theory that the last half of the week involves kids more and more. Yeah. But then wrapping it back around, I guess Friday deals with sex and just the creation of life in a way. Not directly, but we sort of see it played out as a byproduct of almost of lust, I guess you could say, Mm -hmm. but just a desire to create life, which also that ties back into my Freud thing, because that would be libido as opposed to desertura. I can't remember the opposite. That's right. Anyway, the death drive thing that I was mentioning earlier, libido is the opposite of that. 
Yeah, yeah. You want to create life. Mm -hmm. Then Saturday, there's been a time jump. Whatever kid was created, metaphorical kid was created, is now being taught the crazy fucking violence of the world. Yeah, right. And being being initiated into this shit. And then Sunday would be the time jump with the kid is now basically the is now the kid based. Guy banging killing, their head yeah. against the window. Not, I see. Yeah, because that makes, that's they've awesome. come to the existential realization right. of it being a cycle and just being caught in this monotony. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Because you're kind of thrust into this reality at a very early onset until you've seen it, the cycle over and over. And that perhaps could be the reason why they want out of that is beat it out of themselves, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, I, I like that. I think that's a very good metaphor. And then tie back that. around to the rebirth. Yeah, the full the decomposition and... of the, the body, the rebirth once again. Yeah, like... The dude in the beginning is now the rebirth with the fish and... Yeah. Weirdly. But, I because, mean, the fish is a symbol. Because the death is just inevitable and it keeps coming. Yeah. I, <laughs> what do you know? No matter who gets rebirthed, <laughs> it's going to happen, so... Yeah. I think this is a pretty cool film. The fact that this was made just through Half a discussion. Half what I said probably doesn't make sense once we re-listen to it. No, I think it does, to be honest. Like, even... I'm going to say much thanks Obama smoke. and thanks Jack Herrera. <laughs> yeah. Because we've been on that Obama Kush and that Jack H. That's what these philosophical musings are brought to you by. <laughs> if anybody out there... This is open. Like, if anybody out there has differing views or opinions about this film this is why you know we open up those those channels to say hey let us know because sometimes we do ramble <laughs> that's why i like this too is like it's kind of open to interpretation to an extent this you can is glean the, some pretty cool insights this is the absolutely gloomiest anti-suicide movie i can think of yeah it's like this movie is very bleak because it's like it's just a stark reality it's like no happy ending not really a, a sad ending i would say it's just a reality of things mm-hmm. you know it's like no matter how much you want to mask it this is it this is the final product i'm still curious though about the point of actually showing a character as the death king yeah i know what you're saying that kind of confuses things for me i'm still not sure where i stand on that i feel like the girl just saying like this is the de-, after drawing that picture like this is the death king he makes yeah. people want to kill themselves or whatever maybe that's how she visualizes him perhaps i, I'm, I don't know like that flew with me for some reason. Like she can't draw him. That's I might not. I still <laughs> might not understand what it means. But that seemed ephemeral enough that I could find some way to link it as I think about the movie. Yeah, more. No, doubt, no doubt. But then showing a picture of somebody being like, "Oh no, there's the Death King." Yeah, I, like no, that's that's. But then, it, like I said, though, it does back up the child thing more because he's pictured with a kid. And yeah. then I'm like, is the kid the death kid? Well, you know, the thing, too, is even in the credits, you get the snippets, those still photos of kids, Children. right? Now, and I, fish, right? When they were talking... At least one of them is a fishing picture. The <laughs> fish is weirdly highlighted. I mean, it is. Rodenkirchen and Lutgrit were talking about that. And I... Don't quote me, per se, because there's 50-50 chance I'm wrong. But I want to say it was Lutgrit's... He said his girlfriend was in San Francisco, and she was just taking photos of kids. And then they use this process to make it look aged. Mm. And so that's why those pictures are supposed to look older than what they were. But it's just to drive home the point once again, the cycle, you know, birth, death, etc. So so with that, right, this is being your first York Bootcrate film. How do you feel? Well, at least your first film. Dude, this film. movie's dope. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to get Death King tattoo like some people have. Yeah, yeah. But I'm thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was like, that. <clears throat> if you're going to do one, 
that one's pretty dope. <laughs> I'll give it that. It's a lot to chew on, even as we've just been talking about it out loud now. Like, I feel like there's even more to chew on. Oh, no doubt. I don't know if I'm going to watch it again soon, because it just does have a heavy atmosphere to it. It's not the worst thing in the world. No, like, no, but yeah, I, I know what you're saying, though. I mean, I'd rather rewatch this than Martyrs. I feel like that torture sequence is way bleaker than this movie. Yeah. That being said, though, like it's still not like a feel-good time. No, that's another thing about some of these styles of film is is I know that that's the tone that you're going to get, so you have to be somewhat in a, in a certain state of mind, <laughs> you know, to handle this kind of mm-hmm. t- subject. Especially if you're trying Plus, to watch it. I just it don't passively. like rewatching art house movies that often anyway. Yeah. I guess because <laughs> sometimes I like to just you know fucking smoke some kush and zone out to superheroes yeah that's that's fine no i think these styles of films you really do have to pay attention if if you're trying to get a meaning out of it or Mm -hmm. trying to at least insert some of your ideas from it you know yes was like you do have to be in that certain state of mind otherwise you're gonna miss so much stuff and even though i i honestly watched it three times one with a commentary and one of them was kind of passive just because i didn't want to hear commentary over the top of it again but you're right. I think once you watch it a few times, let it settle. Give yourself time to digest. I will end up rewatching this. Yeah, but it's not necessarily one that warrants one like one after the other viewing. That is, so yeah, just give it some time then revisit. It's it's a good revisit film. I would say if it's your first time, if you've listened to us talk this long on it and you're still trying to decide on whether you want to watch it or not, if you do decide to watch it, watch it two times right away. Because I think it hammers home the cyclical nature of it all. I agree. I totally agree with that. But then I understand if you don't watch it again for a while. No, I think two is typically It's also kind of short. Hour 10 and some change? I mean, a total hour Hour, 15, but that's what credits. So it's not that hard to actually watch this twice. No. In Um, two days' time, you can watch it twice, no problem. You can watch this twice in shorter time than it takes to watch the new back to back. (laughs) You really could, yeah. Or to listen to our uh, The Cell episode. Absolutely. <laughs> this episode is now longer than the movie. <laughs> See, exactly. So that, there you go. This episode is now like 20 minutes longer than the movie. <laughs> so if you had time to listen to us, you could have watched the film already. That's how simple it is. <laughs> if you're going to watch it, watch it twice. Yeah, for sure. That's a good point. But then maybe not again. Maybe again a while later. Some people end up really fucking loving this movie. I mean, I can see why. So if you want to rewatch it again right away, Go I don't. For it. I don't blame you. Right. It's just not something I need to watch all the time. No, despite I, it's how thing. much I do admire it now. I completely get where you're going. At. It's the same thing. Like I wouldn't necessarily watch Flowers every day or Atros every day, but you know this is a good one to take in like said twice and then if you want to let the dust settle go for it if not watch it again at your pleasure so next week i'm down if you're down let's we're gonna watch calvair <clears throat> yes yes i haven't heard anything in specific about for a while i've heard you say the name now though for at least a year and a half if not longer it just, so you know coincidentally it keeps popping up so we're gonna finally hit some calvair but it's weird and extreme right what, yes, what are we getting into? It's not as extreme as like Unearth titles. It is weird. Ah, oh, man. It's along the lines of some of the French films that we've watched, but not quite as extreme. Okay. Okay. I'm excited to finally check it out and to see the dad from Raw. Yeah, I know. That's going to be awesome. I need to rewatch Raw. I was thinking about that just the other day. Well, 
not that it's been confirmed, but I feel like I might have been the only person in that screening who knew who that guy was. Would be like, yeah, Cal- fair. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to finally see it. Yeah, man. In order to listen to us talk about it, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. That'd be greatly appreciated. If there's a way for you to rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, we would super appreciate that because that just gets us in the algorithm. Like once these companies see that people like us, then they're like, oh, hey, maybe you other people would like us too. And we just start showing up randomly for them. And those people sometimes don't turn us off. And that would be awesome. I'm okay with that. Yeah, just leave a few words and that'll be all right. Head over to the website, www.friedsquirms.com. Through there, I think I have it currently set up. I might have to fix it. But friedsquirms.com should take you to our main page. But you will notice up at the top that we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Yeah, yeah. As some of the founders. <laughs> and so you can always use that website to contact us to check out our entire back catalog. Or you can pop over to one of the other shows, which is currently General Nerdery, where you can listen to me talk about nerdy shit like comics and fucking Star Wars and movies and video games and shit with Zach, who you've probably heard on our Swamp Thing episode. For sure, yeah. And like, so this is uh, a real exciting time, too, to be a part of the network. So I know we all have some future plans for future endeavors, so we'll see what happens. Hopefully it'll just continue to grow. Please tell people about us, like us, all of that shit. Hit us up. There's multiple ways. You can find those all on the website really easily, as well as links to the social media. I believe those are all currently working. I'm still getting shit going on the website. If they're not working, they'll be working soon, guys. Bear with me. So Yeah, exactly. Still under construction, but we're, uh, yeah, we're steadfast. I fixed a lot of shit yesterday. Awesome. There's just still a little bit more to fix. <laughs> Let us know if you have any recommendations, perhaps, or suggestions for the upcoming Christmas episode and once again if you're in the industry need somebody to check out your films we're the guys for it let us know if you don't give us suggestions i am threatening you all with santa's sleigh featuring bill <laughs> goldberg that's right man Gore. except i don't know if i'd want to do that to myself someone's getting subjected to it anyway i'm tyler i'm danny fried squirms out, out.